0: Chapter 27 of Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Anderson. Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm by Kate Douglas Wiggin. Chapter 27 The Vision Splendid. A year had elapsed since Adam Ladd's prize had been discussed over the teacups in Riverboro. The months had come and gone, and at length the great day had dawned for Rebecca, the day to which she had been looking forward for five years, as the first goal to be reached on her little journey through the world. And the mystic function, known to the initiated as graduation, was about to be celebrated. It was even now heralded by the sun dawning in the eastern sky. Rebecca stole softly out of bed, crept to the window, threw open the blinds, and welcomed the rosy light that meant a cloudless morning. Even the sun looked different somehow, larger, redder, more important than usual. And if it were really so, there was no member of the graduating class who would have thought it strange or unbecoming, in view of all the circumstances. Emma Jane stirred on her pillow, woke, and seeing Rebecca at the window, came and knelt on the floor beside her. It's going to be pleasant, she sighed gratefully. If it wasn't wicked, I could thank the Lord. I'm so relieved in mind. Did you sleep? Not much. The words of my class poem kept running through my head, and the accompaniments of the songs and worse than anything, Mary Queen of Scots, prayer in Latin, it seemed as if Adoro, Imploro, Ut Libris, Me, were burned in my brain. No one who is unfamiliar with life in rural neighborhoods can imagine the gravity, the importance, the solemnity of this last day of school. In the matter of preparation, wealth of detail, and general excitement— It far surpasses a wedding, for that is commonly a simple affair in the country, sometimes even beginning and ending in a visit to the parsonage. Nothing quite equals graduation in the minds of the graduates themselves, their families, and the younger students, unless it be the inauguration of a governor at the state capital. Wareham, then, was shaken to its very center on this day of days, Mothers and fathers of the scholars, as well as relatives to the remotest generation, had been coming on the train and driving into the town since breakfast time. Old pupils, both married and single, with and without families, streamed back to the dear old village. The two livery stables were crowded with vehicles of all sorts, and lines of buggies and wagons were drawn up along the sides of the shady roads. "'the horses switching their tails in luxurious idleness. "'The streets were filled with people wearing their best clothes, "'and the fashions included not only the latest thing, "'but the well-preserved relic of a bygone day. "'There were all sorts and conditions of men and women, "'for there were sons and daughters of storekeepers, "'lawyers, butchers, doctors, shoemakers, "'professors, ministers, and farmers at the Wareham schools.' either as boarders or day-scholars. In the seminary building there was an excitement so deep and profound that it expressed itself in a kind of hushed silence, a transient suspension of life, as those most interested approached the crucial moment. The feminine graduates-to-be were seated in their own bedrooms, dressed with a completeness of detail to which all their past lives seemed to have been but a prelude. At least this was the case with their bodies, but their heads, owing to the extreme heat of the day, were one and all ornamented with leads or papers or dozens of little braids, to issue later in every sort of curl known to the girl of that period. Rolling the hair on leads or papers was a favorite method of attaining the desired result, and though it often entailed a sleepless night, there were those who gladly paid the price others in whose veins the blood of martyrs did not flow substituted rags for leads and pretended that they made a more natural and less woolly curl heat however will melt the proudest head and reduce to fiddling strings the finest product of the waving pin so anxious mothers were stationed over their offspring waving palm-leaf fans it having been decided that the supreme instant when the town clock struck ten should be the one chosen for releasing the prisoners from their self-imposed tortures. Dotted or plain Swiss muslin was the favorite garb, though there were those who were streaming in white cashmere or alpaca, because in some cases such frocks were thought more useful afterwards. Blue and pink waist ribbons were lying over the backs of chairs, and the girl who had a Roman sash was praying that she might be kept from vanity and pride. The way to any graduating dress at all had not seemed clear to Rebecca until a month before. Then, in company with Emma Jane, she visited the Perkins' attic, found piece after piece of white butter muslin or cheesecloth, and decided that at a pinch it would do. The rich blacksmith's daughter cast the thought of dotted Swiss behind her and elected to follow Rebecca in cheesecloth as she had in higher matters. "'Straight away devising costumes that included such drawing of threads, "'such hem-stitching and pin-tucking, "'such insertions of fine thread-tatting that, in order to be finished, "'Rebecca's dress was given out in sections, "'the sash to Hannah, waist and sleeves to Mrs. Cobb, "'and skirt to Aunt Jane. "'The stitches that went into the despised material "'worth only three or four pennies a yard,' made the dresses altogether lovely. And as for the folds and lines into which they fell, they could have given points to satins and brocades. The two girls were waiting in their room alone, Emma Jane in rather a cheerful state of mind. She kept thinking that it was the last day that they would be together in this altogether sweet and close intimacy. The beginning of the end seemed to have dawned, for two positions had been offered Rebecca by Mr. Morrison the day before—one in which she would play for singing and calisthenics, and superintend the piano practice of the younger girls in the boarding school, the other an assistant's place in the Edgewood High School. Both were very modest as to salary, but the former included educational advantages that Miss Maxwell thought might be valuable. Rebecca's mood had passed from that of excitement into a sort of exultation. And when the first bell rang through the corridors, announcing that in five minutes a class would proceed in a body to the church for the exercises, she stood motionless and speechless at the window, with her hand on her heart. "'It is coming, Emmy,' she said presently. "'Do you remember in the mill on the floss when Maggie Tulliver closed the golden gates of childhood behind her?' I can almost see them swing, almost hear them clang, and I can't tell whether I'm glad or sorry. I shouldn't care how they swung or clanged, said Emma Jane, if only you and I were on the same side of the gate. But we shan't be. I know we shan't. Emmy, don't dare to cry, for I'm just on the brink myself. If only you were graduating with me, that's my only sorrow. There! There! "'I hear the rumble of the wheels. "'People will be seeing our grand surprise now. "'Hug me once for luck, dear Emmy, "'a careful hug remembering our butter-muslin frailty.'" Ten minutes later Adam Ladd, who had just arrived from Portland and was wending his way to the church, came suddenly into the main street and stopped short under a tree by the wayside, riveted to the spot by a scene of picturesque loveliness "'such as his eyes had seldom witnessed before. "'The class, of which Rebecca was president, "'was not likely to follow accepted customs. "'Instead of marching two by two "'from the seminary to the church, "'they had elected to proceed thither by royal chariot. "'A hay-cart had been decked with the green vines "'and bunches of long-stemmed field-daisies, "'those gay darlings of New England meadows.' "'Every inch of the rail, the body, even the spokes, "'all were twined with yellow and green and white. "'There were two white horses, flower-trimmed reins, "'and in the floral bower, seated on maple boughs, "'were the twelve girls of the class, "'while the ten boys marched on either side of the vehicle, "'wearing buttonhole bouquets of daisies, the class flower. "'Rebecca drove, seated on the green-covered bench "'that looked not unlike a throne.' "'No girl clad in white muslin, no happy girl of seventeen, plain. "'And the twelve little country maids, from the vantage ground of their setting, "'looked beautiful, as the June sunlight filtered down on their uncovered heads, "'showing their bright eyes, their fresh cheeks, their smiles, and their dimples. "'Rebecca,' Adam thought, as he took off his hat, and saluted the pretty panorama. "'Rebecca, with her tall slenderness, her thoughtful brow, "'the fire of young joy in her face, "'her fillet of dark braided hair "'might have been a young muse or Sibyl, "'and the flowery hay-rack with its freight of blooming girlhood "'might have been painted as an allegorical picture "'of the morning of life. "'It all passed him as he stood under the elms "'in the old village street, "'where his mother had walked half a century ago.' "'and he was turning with the crowd toward the church "'when he heard a little sob. "'Behind a hedge in the garden near where he was standing "'was a forlorn person in white "'whose neat nose, chestnut hair, and blue eyes "'he seemed to know. "'He stepped inside the gate and said, "'What's wrong, Miss Emma?' "'Oh, is it you, Mr. Ladd? "'Rebecca won't let me cry for fear of spoiling her looks.' "'but I must have just one chance before I go in. "'I can be as homely as I like, after all, "'for I only have to sing with the school. "'I'm not graduating. "'I'm just leaving. "'Not that I mind that. "'It's only being separated from Rebecca that I never can stand.' "'The two walked along together, "'Adam comforting the disconsolate Emma Jane, "'until they reached the old meeting-house "'where the commencement exercises were always held.' The interior, with its decorations of yellow, green, and white, was crowded, the air hot and breathless, the essays and songs and recitations precisely like all others that have been since the world began. One always fears that the platform may sink under the weight of youthful platitudes uttered on such occasions. Yet one can never be properly critical because the sight of the boys and girls themselves, those young and hopeful makers of to-morrow, "'disarms one's scorn. "'We yawn desperately at the essays, "'but our hearts go out to the essayists all the same, "'for the vision splendid is shining in their eyes, "'and there is no fear of the inevitable yoke "'that the years are so surely bringing them.' "'Rebecca saw Hannah and her husband in the audience, "'dear old John and cousin Anne also, "'and felt a pang at the absence of her mother.' though she had known there was no possibility of seeing her. For poor Aurelia was kept at Sunnybrook by the cares of children and farm, and lack of money either for the journey or for suitable dress. The Cobb she saw, too. No one, indeed, could fail to see Uncle Jerry, for he shed tears more than once, and in the intervals between the essays "'discanted to his neighbors concerning the marvelous gifts "'of one of the graduating class whom he had known ever since she was a child, "'in fact had driven her from Maplewood to Riverboro "'when she left her home, "'and he had told mother that same night "'that there weren't nerry rung on the ladder of fame "'that that child wouldn't mount before she got through with it. "'The cobs then had come,' "'and there were other Riverboro faces. "'But where was Aunt Jane in her black silk "'made over especially for this occasion? "'Aunt Miranda had not intended to come, she knew. "'But where on this day of days was her beloved Aunt Jane? "'However, this thought, like all others, "'came and went in a flash, "'for the whole morning was like a series "'of magic lantern pictures, "'crossing and recrossing her field of vision.' She played, she sang, she recited Queen Mary's Latin prayer like one in a dream, only brought to consciousness by meeting Mr. Aladdin's eyes as she spoke the last line. Then at the end of the program came her class poem, Makers of Tomorrow, and there, as on many a former occasion, her personality played so great a part that she seemed to be uttering Miltonic sentiments instead of schoolgirl verse her voice, her eyes, her body breathed conviction, earnestness, emotion, and when she left the platform the audience felt that they had listened to a masterpiece. Most of her hearers knew little of Carlyle or Emerson, or they might have remembered that the one said, we are all poets when we read a poem well, and the other, tis the good reader makes the good book. It was over, The diplomas had been presented, and each girl, after giving furtive touches to her hair, sly tweaks to her muslin skirts, and caressing pats to her sash, had gone forward to receive the roll of parchment with a bow that had been the subject of anxious thought for weeks. Rounds of applause greeted each graduate at this thrilling moment, and Jeremiah Cobb's behavior when Rebecca came forward was the talk of Wareham and Riverboro for weeks, Old Mrs. Webb avowed that he, in the space of two hours, had worn out her pew more, the carpet, the cushions, and woodwork, than she had by sitting in it for forty years. Yes, it was over. And after the crowd had thinned a little, Adam Ladd made his way to the platform. Rebecca turned from speaking to some strangers and met him in the aisle. Oh, Mr. Aladdin, I am so glad you could come. Tell me. And she looked at him half shyly, for his approval was dearer to her and more difficult to win than that of the others. Tell me, Mr. Aladdin, were you satisfied? More than satisfied, he said. Glad I met the child. Proud I know the girl. Longing to meet the woman. End of chapter 27